Our focus is verse 7 again, just as it was last week. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Remember, it has two halves, the condition and then the result, the if and then the then. The if clause is if you abide in me and my words abide in you and the result is then. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And last week we talked about the condition, namely the word abiding in us. And this week we want to talk about the result. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If the words of God are abiding in you, a result is going to happen. Namely, remarkably effective, powerful praying. And there are four truths now that emerge from thinking about this verse in its nearer and wider context. Number one, truth number one, prayer is for fruit-bearing. Prayer is for fruit-bearing. God designed it to give us the joy of fruit-bearing while he gets the glory. Now, you can see this in two ways. Number one, look at the connection between verses seven and eight. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, in John's way of writing, it's often very ambiguous, and I don't think that's an accident. Does this, when he says, by this, at the beginning of verse 8, does that refer back to verse 7 or forward to fruit bearing? He's doing this sort of thing all the time in the way he writes. If my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. By this is my Father glorified. And if you stopped right there, you'd say, well, by answered prayer. God gets glory by answering our prayers. But if you keep reading, then you think, oh, by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Oh, that's what he meant. The this refers to bearing much fruit. I don't think he means for us to choose between those two. I really think in John's way of writing, he means for us to ask that very question and meditate on the connection between answered prayer and fruit-bearing. And the answer, I think, at least part of the answer, he wants us to come to as we meditate on the this pointing in both directions is God gets glory by bearing fruit through answered prayer. God gets glory by being the kind of God who's rich enough and good enough to answer prayers for fruit-bearing. Prayer has to do with fruit-bearing primarily. Now, if that seems just a little tenuous, a little ambiguous, a little uncertain to draw that point out there, it's made explicit in verse 16. Let's read verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. There it is, bear fruit. I appointed you and sent you to bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain that. This logical connection here is tremendously important. It's word that, or in order that. That, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So Jesus says, I chose you and I appointed you to be a a fruit-bearing kind of person in order that your prayers would be answered. Does that make sense to you? That's really strange. You'd expect him to say the reverse. You'd expect him to say, I'm the kind of God who answers prayer in order that you might have a fruit-bearing mission. And he said the 
He did it the other way around. He said, I have called you, I have appointed you, chosen you to go and bear fruit in order that your prayers might be answered. That only makes sense if prayer is for fruit bearing. It doesn't make sense any other way. The only way that logical connection there, the that, makes sense is if prayer is for fruit bearing. I have given you a fruit bearing ministry so that prayers could be answered. Because prayer is for fruit bearing. It's not for other things. I appoint you to bear fruit in order that you might have a successful prayer life. So go and bear fruit in prayer. That's point number one. First truth. Prayer is for fruit bearing. Number two. Prayer is not for gratifying natural desires. Prayer is not for gratifying natural desires. Now, as soon as I say that, all kinds of objections come to my mind. And if you think like me, they come to your mind. Like, wait a minute. Jesus said right at the middle of the most important prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And what could be more natural than the desire to eat? So you say, what do you mean that prayer is not for the gratifying of natural desires? And not only that prayer, but the Old Testament and the New Testament are just filled with prayers about things like protection from enemies, escape from danger, success in vocation, fertility in marriage, recovery from sickness. And my point is not that those desires are bad. That the natural desires to want to be protected and to want to eat and to want to have clothing and to want to succeed in your business are bad desires. That's not the point. The point is, unless those desires are subordinate to bigger desires that are supranatural, Godward desires, spiritual desires, kingdom desires, gospel-spreading desires, Christ-exalting desires, unless the natural desires are in the service of these bigger issues that relate to God, they're not the proper subject of prayer. Unless those natural desires are serving the big ones, they're not what prayer is about. What came just before the words, give us this day our daily bread? Oh, Lord, make your name hallowed in the world. Oh, Lord, grant your kingdom to spread in this world. Oh, Lord, may your will be done at Bethlehem the way the angels do it in heaven. And to that end, let us have the food we need and no more and no less. And if you don't want bread for that reason, don't pray about it. God's not listening. I really believe that. Prayer is for fruit bearing, bearing fruit in kingdom work, hallowing the name, doing the will. Prayer is about the big issues and it's about the little issues, the tiniest little issues. I lost my pencil. I can't find my keys. Where's my kids sleeping after prayer night? I couldn't find Barnabas after prayer. Prayer is about the little issues if you've got a heart for the big issues as the end of those little issues. If all you care about is your closed little system of natural desires, that's not the subject of prayer. God is not in the business of running the world by hiring the consultation firm called mankind. 
He does not need that. He's in the business of letting us help him run the world through prayer if we will conform to his desires to hallow his name. Prayer is for God's name and God's kingdom and God's will. It is all about fruit bearing in those big issues and the others, protection, escape from danger, eating, having clothes, houses, lands, education, vocational success. All of those are okay to pray about if they are in the service of the king and his kingdom. David illustrated it like this in Psalm 37, 4. He said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The order is right. The desires of the heart become legitimate matters of prayer when the heart delights in the Lord above all things. When the heart is the kind of heart that has shaped its desires around the value of the kingdom and the value of Christ and the value of God and the value of salvation and the value of truth, then God can say to that heart, you will have your desires. But if you come and read that verse, chop off the first half and say, the Bible says I'll get my desires if I ask for them. I ask for this desire with no thought of kingdom issues, no thought of the big, large issues of God's glory in the world and the spread of God's kingdom, that prayer stops at the ceiling. Prayer is not for gratifying natural desires. It is for fruit-bearing. If you want God to respond to your interests, you must be devoted to His interests. If you want God to respond to your interests, you must be devoted to His interests. We are not the consulting firm by which he runs the world. He grants us a hand in running the world to the degree that we have checked in with his consultation. Here's the way John put it in 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayer is not for gratifying our will. Prayer is for granting us the joy of seeing God's will executed through us as it becomes our will. The only joy in life that lasts is when our desires are drawn from His desires and those desires are the ones that have the promise made, ask and it will be given you. Here's the way John put it in chapter 3, verse 22 of his first letter. Whatever you ask, you receive from Him because you keep His commandments. And do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Prayer is not for gratifying natural desires. Prayer is given as a gift for the joy and the satisfaction of those people whose heart is so in tune with God that they keep his commandments and do what is pleasing to him. If you have no interest in obeying God, in bringing your whole of life, your attitude from morning to night into conformity to his values and getting your desires from his desires, prayer is not your business. James put it like this. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then he calls them adulteresses in the next verse. You know why? Adulteresses. Picturing the church as a wife. God is the husband. 
and prayer as asking the husband for money to pay the paramour down the hall with which she sleeps. That's a pretty ugly view of prayer, isn't it? Prayer is to bring our lives into conformity with the desires of our our husband, God, not to ask him for the wherewithal to consort with the world. Prayer is not for the satisfying and gratifying of natural desires until those natural desires come into the service of the hallowing of God's name, the seeking of God's kingdom, and the doing of God's will. Truth number three. The words of Jesus abiding in us prepare us for fruit-bearing prayer. The words of Jesus abiding in us prepare us for fruit-bearing prayer. If prayer is not for the gratifying of our natural desires, but for fruit-bearing for God, then the major challenge before us at the beginning of 1993 in prayer is becoming the kind of people who are not dominated by natural desires. That is the major challenge in prayer. Becoming the kind of people who are not dominated by natural desires, but who are dominated by spiritual desires. What Paul calls ceasing to be a natural person and becoming a spiritual person, or growing beyond being carnal people to being spiritual people. People who, of course, we want to eat. Of course, we'd like to succeed. Of course, we want clothes on our back and a roof over our head and education for our children. But if those things are not subordinate in our lives to the big issues that make us tick, then we're not going to pray with success. We're not. Prayer is going to be so worldly, so earthly, so unspiritual, God will wonder what does it have to do with Him? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will become that kind of person. And whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Let me give you some examples of how the word of Jesus abiding within. You remember last week we said that the abiding of the word is not just the abiding of ideas, but the coming of Jesus speaking. Or the coming of the word Spoken by the living, present Christ. Some examples now from John's gospel and his letters about how the word makes you that kind of person in order that you might pray. 1 John 1.10 If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Meaning, if his word were in us, we'd know ourselves aright. The key to a humble, proper assessment of who we are before God comes one way, by the word of God dwelling within. And without that proper self-assessment, we will not be in tune with God and know how to pray according to his will. Number two, John 17, 8, Jesus says, They have received my words. And have truly understood that I came forth from thee. In other words, the word received 
and abiding is the key to unlock not only a true knowledge of ourselves in humility, but an exalted knowledge of God and His Son Jesus coming from Him. And we cannot pray aright until we know Jesus as He is. We can't pray aright until we have an exalted view of the meaning of the coming of the Son into the world. Number three, 1 John 2.14 says, I have written to you, young men, because the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Unless the Word of God is abiding in us, Satan will dominate, he will control, and he will deceive and bring us into odds with God rather than being in tune with God. In order to pray in tune with God, Satan must be defeated, and he was defeated in the young men in Ephesus and the other churches by the abiding of the Word of God. Number four, John fourteen twenty four. He who does not love me does not keep my words, which means that the words of Jesus define the path of love. We cannot pray fruit-bearing prayers until we know the path on which the fruit is born and the fruit is always born in the path of love and not outside that path. If you want to know the path of love along which prayers are answered, namely the path of love, you must have the Word of God abiding within you. You can't know what love is any other way than by the Word of God. John says, by this we know that we love God when we keep His commandments. You may think you're loving God by not checking into the Bible at all. How many articles, how many books do I read today where the concepts of mercy, compassion, and love are used as criteria with no defense that that's the way God sees things at all. No defense that this is God's view of love, God's view of mercy, God's view of compassion. You just take the word right out of the mouth. Since it's a politically correct word, it works. It doesn't really matter whether it comes from God. If you want to know the path of love, you must have the word of God abiding in you. Because many things look loving which are not loving. Number five, John eight forty seven. He who is of God hears the words of God. Note that. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear him because you are not of God. What that means is if you hear God, receive the words of God, and have his word abiding in you, it is evidence that you are of God, that is, chosen of God, born of God, elect. In other words, the whole issue of assurance is riding on this word. When you go to pray, one of the great hindrances to prayer and faith and hope in prayer is, am I of God? Am I born of God? Am I in the family? How do I know I'm in the family? And this text says you know you're in the family if you hear the word of God. If you receive the Word of God, if the Word of God comes home and finds a place in you that receives affirmation and a yes and an amen. And finally, John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. 
In John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we have cleanness and we have sanctification coming to us through the word. There are a lot of other examples of how the word abiding in us fits us to pray. But here are six. A humble view of ourselves, an exalted view of the Savior, triumph over the devil, knowledge of the path of love, assurance of our election, and the power of holiness. Those six and many more come to us by having the word of God abide with us, abide in us, and therefore fit us for being the kind of people who will pray in tune with God and hear the promise, whatever you ask, it will be done for you. So my fourth and final truth is simply a conclusion from the first three. The more we are saturated with the words of Jesus, the more our prayers will be answered. The more we are saturated with the words of Jesus, the more our prayers will be answered. Or to put it in a rhyme, more saturated by the word, more surely will our prayers be heard. More saturated by the word, more surely will our prayers be heard. So in conclusion, the challenge of prayer for us at Bethlehem in 1993 is primarily to become the kind of people who don't live under the domination of natural desires, but rather live dominated by the desire to bear fruit for the kingdom. Prayer is for fruit bearing. Therefore, the great challenge of being successful and prosperous and powerful in prayer is to become the kind of person whose heart is bent on bearing fruit for God, for his glory, for his kingdom, in his will. The key to becoming that kind of person is for the words of Jesus to abide in us. Now, I believe that's a progressive work rather than a once-for-all kind of thing. That's the way I stated point number four, the way I did. I said, the more we are saturated by the words of Jesus, the more our prayers will be answered. I don't think that happens all at once. Now, I've got the word abiding. Every prayer will be answered from here on out. It's not that way. I don't think the Bible presents it that way. I don't think Jesus meant it that way. The point is, to the degree that you are possessed by the Word, and you will never be probably fully possessed by the Word until that last day, but to the degree that you approach that fullness of possession by the Word of God, to that degree will your prayers begin to conform more and more fully to the heart and mind of God, and there will be more and more power, more and more effectiveness in your prayer life. More saturated by the Word, more surely will our prayers be heard. On either side of this platform, when I close, prayer teams are standing and you enter this new year with some burdens that you'd like them to pray about with you. It could be that God has been causing uh, them to abide in the Word in some new and fresh ways, or you too, and that He would honor those prayers if you would like them to pray for you. Father, I earnestly desire now that we, in 1993 as a church, would become really powerful and effective in praying. And to that end, I ask that we would become a people 
who are not dominated by natural desires, but by supra-natural kingdom, God-centered, Christ-exalting, gospel-spreading, kingdom-bringing desires. And to that end, I pray that your words will abide in us. Lord, take last Sunday's message and all of its practical suggestions about the word abiding in us and make it work for us, Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, create in this congregation an insatiable hunger to be in your word until our minds cease to be conformed to this age and are transformed by your word into your way, your heart, your will, your love. And so make us people who pray with incredible power. In Jesus' name I ask it.